The way most companies tell stories today, it's all reactive. They find out there's a win, and now it's a five-alarm fire to discover the story in reverse. They go, oh my goodness, okay, who was the decision maker? What were their goals? Ah, does anybody know their goals? Do we still have the salesperson who was there who sold it to them? So there's this race to discover everything in reverse, even though that customer may have been with you for years. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying their Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the SaaS Growth Hub podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. You're about to listen to the second part of our chat with Joel Kletke, CEO of Case Study Buddy. In part one, we covered what makes a good customer story, how to measure the ROI and how to align with all parties involved to get your customer machine going. In part two, Joel walks us through his step-by-step process to create and tell engaging stories that will hook your target audience. Um, Can you walk us through your process for creating customer stories? And I know, you know, this is a big question and there are a lot of um, stages to creating this, so we we can break this down a bit. So can you first walk us through what happens, you know, before you start interviewing for a customer story? Yeah. Before a client ever gets on the call, the most important thing is to set the right expectation, to make sure that they come in knowing what will be sort of produced at the end of this. That's really important because you don't want to go through the process and then not be able to use any of it. Um, You want to make sure that they're comfortable and that they come ready to talk about their story in a meaningful way. One of the most important things that we work with our clients to do is seed the metrics to them, make sure that they know, hey, We plan to ask you if you're comfortable talking about them. We plan to ask you about these specific numbers. And when you share that ahead of a call, it's homework. It feels urgent. They want to look smart. They want to come prepared. When you wait till you're on the call, they might not have any of that stuff. And if you wait till after the call, they might not go get it for you. So seeding them the metrics ahead of the call, letting them know the specifics of their story that you want to be able to talk about, that helps them come prepared. That helps them feel confident. Prior to that, there's other things that happen like legal release. I'm a big believer you want to secure that as early in the process as possible because, again, you don't want to go through the whole process of capturing the story and then legal goes, nope, and game over. Uh, That's a lot of wasted time and money and energy built up in assets. So prior to ever getting on a call, the expectation has been set. The ask has been made. Legal release has been achieved. They've seeded some metrics. They now know what they need to turn up for this call. Uh, ready to do. They know if it's video, they know what formats, they're they're as prepared as they can be without overwhelming them in the process. During the interview, uh, we our goal is to transform them into a storyteller. That is our primary goal. We need to ask questions that don't feel like an interrogation, that don't feel like we're reading them off a sheet of the 10 best questions for case studies. Like You don't need a better question set, you need a better interviewer. That's really the truth of, of getting these done. Um, But our job there is to ask them open-ended questions, listen very intently, and then the art of the follow-up. Oh, tell me more about that. What made that so difficult or so frustrating? What did that look like in practice? Some of these questions that kind of get them expanding on inevitably, uh, sometimes the one-liners that they'll they'll give you. They'll have the opposite problem to me, where I tend to say a lot and people tend to say very little. Um, But during the call, that's that's our job. Post-call, it's all about velocity and speed. We now have to move as quickly as possible 
can translate that story into assets. With case studies, velocity is everything. The longer it takes to get them a draft, the longer it takes for them to see the outcome, the less and less interested they'll be in taking part and the more and more likely you will lose the story entirely. So from there, we for, for us, uh, that's where it moves. If we're doing video, it moves into the post-production phase immediately. You know, the, the editor starts working off of the brief. Um, I should have mentioned that earlier. I guess we have really strategic briefs that outline what are the goals for the story? What is the coverage gap that we are uh, that we are looking to fill? Who are we trying to appeal to with this story? What metrics are we angling for? We have briefs that make sure everyone from our interviewer to our writer to our editor and so on, everyone's on the same page from a narrative standpoint in terms of what we're going for. So post-production, you know, we move as fast as we can. We, we get our clients sign off first to make sure they're comfortable with the story and that it serves that business or revenue goal. And then we get the customer sign off, make sure they're happy with how they're presented, make sure that everything makes them feel good and feel confident about, uh, you know, the, the story. And then it moves into design. And so that's where, again, turning it into these final polished assets so that they're ready to go live. So that that is kind of the high level, there's all kinds of little in the weeds things happening in, in the writing and in the editing and so on and so forth. But from a high level, that's really what it looks like. And key to all of that, I'll say again, velocity. Uh, you, you need to be able to move fast. Having 10 internal stakeholders review a draft is suicide. And if you're doing that, you're not a smart company. Um, if the AE and the CSM and the CEO and the marketer and the sales all need to review this thing, you're dead. It, you're screwed. It will take way too long. You got way too many conflicting opinions. Internally, as a company, you need to nominate one person to own this. And when it comes in, they can collate the feedback if there's a small number of stakeholders who really do need to see it. But you need to keep that light. You need to keep that lean and you need to move fast. Uh, and, and so that's what we're, we're engineered toward because slow is suicide with case studies. It's, it's really dangerous. What is, uh, tell us what is fast for you guys? How long does it take for you to get a customer story ready from the beginning to an end? Yeah, I'll go from the time of the interview because that's, that is the moment we start controlling things, right? Like we, we book the interview as soon as we feel prepared. So we will normally review the brief in advance of the call and make sure that everyone on the team knows what's up. From the time of the interview, we target five business day turnaround to first draft of written pieces. Uh, we target maximum 10 business day turnaround for video cuts. Video is a little bit more of an involved medium. Normally we're, we're much shorter than that, but kind of a week, a week to first draft so that they can see it. Um, from there, for our clients, we put to them, we want your feedback in five business days maximum, ideally 48 hours uh, is, is the way we put it to them. Because again, you have to think of it behind the scenes, your customer is sitting there going, that was great. That was great. Okay. All right. And they put her off into the woods, right? So you, you kind of have to move quickly there. You want to do things to keep them engaged through the process as it's going through these other stages. You want to be sending things like, Thank you emails, and we really love this or that, finding ways to keep them engaged. Um, but we we target 48 hours for our client, five business days max. And then from the time the customer sees it, you know, we we really angle towards if we can get the entire process start to finish from interview to final design done, 30 to 45 days total, that's the goal. Um, sometimes it's faster when everyone's really responsive and really aligned. The longest we've ever chased this story was two years, but it did get published <laughs> in the end. Um, but you know, speed is everything. So yeah, we we try to move as fast as humanly possible. I I would love next day turnaround if we had the team to do it. Right? It's it's just 
that's a really, really high bar to hit. What, so what, what has been the, the quickest turnaround you've had? From start to finish, we had a story done in four days. Everybody approved wow. everything done, all the design complete. That, you know, those are extenuating circumstances. I mean, that is really everybody hustling. And to make that possible, you know, if you're going, oh, we, we would love to hit that kind of timeline. To make that work, you need to have the right expectations set at the beginning for the client, for your team, in terms of what the story is going to be. You have to have the resources available to produce. And then that customer has to be so confident. You have to have built up the right expectation and build up their confidence so much to the point that you get them a draft, you've nailed the story, you presented them exactly how they expected to be presented. And they go, yep. And, and then you're off to design. So expectation setting and, and controlling that process and having a process in the first place, that's the only way that's possible. Um, to, to wing it, it's never going to happen. You know, it, it would be a fluke to, you know, maybe if you're a really tiny company and they're like your favorite customer in the world, it's like your uncle or something like that. Like, okay. But in the real world, that's, that's really an exceptional timeline because there's a lot of different people that normally have to look at this or touch it or, you know, a lot of moving parts. Well, considering this moving parts mm -hmm. um, issue, is it possible to scale the process? I mean, you guys have obviously done it uh, to to an extent. How do how do you advise other people to start scaling it? Yeah, to scale the process, I think go back to some of the things we talked about. Begin with the end in mind. Know what you are shooting towards. Spend time before you ever get a customer involved. Rally the troops and spend time defining what are our goals. What are our coverage gaps? Who owns what parts of this process and how do we empower them? So what templates or guidelines or SOPs do we need to stand up to have everybody aware and everyone on the same page? Everyone should be able to describe, you know, not necessarily right away, but everyone should be able to define, this is what the process looks like. They should be able to know. For our company, this is who does what, this is how long it's supposed to take, this is how fast I need to have my feedback in. So you need that internal alignment, that internal clarity. That is really key to scaling. I think the other part of scaling is the part that you don't necessarily immediately directly control, and that's customers willing to take part. You, you need to have the other half of the equation. If you if you have a great you know internal alignment but can't get buy-in, then you've got a great machine with no wheels. So the car needs some wheels. So that's where, again, when you're very intentional about who you're asking, how you're asking, when you make, you know, I think having a culture of making talking about KPIs with your customers normal is a gigantic help. Uh, if the only time you ever talk about ROI or the metrics or the outcomes with your clients is when you're asking them for a story, that's a big mistake. You should care about that throughout the entire relationship. And it's shocking how rare it is that companies actually do. They have conversations about what else they want to sell people. They have conversations when an issue arises. But they rarely have conversations just to say, how are we tracking against the goals you told us you had when you onboarded? And so I think that's a key part of, of scaling this up, too, is trying to work together as a team to create a culture where talking about KPIs with the customer is normal and feels normal, feels like a, an extension of the relationship. I think we're starting to see all of this get more sophisticated with the emergence of the customer marketing role. I have seen since Case Study Buddy started you know, seven years ago to date, companies are starting to put a lot more time and attention and money towards customer marketing roles because they realize this stuff is hard. And so there are other things that the customer marketing team or customer advocacy team can do to help scale this too. Things like building out customer advocacy boards or 
um, you know, running customer events and things like that. That's like the 301 kind of level of stuff. That's, you know, most companies are nowhere near that. But I think in the future, that will become more and more normal. But for today, if you're thinking about scaling where you're at, start with internal alignment and then focus on how do we make it as easy as possible to know when there's a win and, and make the ask in a confident way. So you have to be ambitious with um, clear objectives. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, we talked about the warmth of the case studies earlier on, but we all know that the, the numbers they do tend to actually make the story, um, and they are—they kind of make the, the customer story stronger and kind of uh, to the point. Um, but sometimes, and it's, this is probably the case majority of the times, it's super hard to get those numbers from mm-hmm. the actual interviews. So, do you have any kind of um, help, kind of? idea how you can actually um, get around this and uh, are we actually too focused on this getting these numbers can we still can we still actually build a compelling case story a customer story without them yeah i think absolutely you can i think some of the things we've discussed make it more likely you will get numbers seeding them ahead of time making talking about kpis normal you know looking for for proxies so when a customer shares oh it's saving us lots of time well can you ask them how much money might it cost to hire someone to fill that role and things like that. There, there are other ways to get numbers, but I think a really important thing to learn is that you don't need necessarily to have a big sexy metric to have a really compelling story. Some great stories have no numbers associated. Sometimes it's about the relationship. It's about how you showed up for them. So for example, we've seen companies publishing stories now almost in a retrospective about the pandemic and the way they showed up for their customers through that time period. Um, you know, the, that was a time where the whole world was changing. People were going remote, budgets were uncertain and, and all of this. And so some really great customer stories in B2B are coming out about the relationships that were fostered through that time and how companies showed up for those customers and how they helped them, you know, maintain what they were doing or avoid having to lay people up or whatever it might be. There's not necessarily, sometimes there's metrics in that, but there's not always a clean metric there. Uh, Other times, you know, it's about uh, the experience or the trust. Not all of the questions that your leads have are about metrics either. They don't get on a sales call and necessarily go, you know, I heard that you helped HubSpot double conversions. How are we going to double conversions? A lot of the time, they're curious about the process, right? They're curious, like, how do you even come at this? Or uh, they're looking for examples of people like them deploying and what does that look like in an organization like mine what does it look like in a company like mine um sometimes they're looking for examples of you know stories that demonstrate that their use case is even possible they're thinking i i would like to be able to use the tool for this is that even tenable is that even something that can be done so while it's great to have a metric and i think metrics it's hard to argue they get the clicks they get the eyeballs they might be the initial reason for reading the story. But I think when you spend time to find out where are the stories we have that might not be metrics-based, start by mapping out the pain points customers have. And do all of those have metrics associated? For the ones that don't, could you tell a story about those? Could you tell a story about how that pain got solved? Is there a relationship component to that? Look for the outcomes that your clients look for. Not all of those will be metrics-based. Some of them absolutely will. Some of them are directly metrics-based, you want to focus on that, but others are not. 
So talk with sales, talk with the team, map out the pain points, map out the desired outcomes, and look for those angles where, okay, we can't get metrics for this story, but how can we spin this story in a way that gives us the opportunity to either showcase the relationship side of it, demonstrate the process behind what was done, because that's valuable to have insight into. Um, I mean, you you asked me about how long you know a typical story takes for us, but as I was describing the process, you know, you weren't going, okay, and how many words should a case they be all like these really granular pieces, right? So I, I think map out the pain points, map out the desired outcomes, and look for the story angles in that that are more qualitative. I look at the qualitative questions people are asking and tell stories that answer those or that disambiguate those or demonstrate the practicality of those uh, in in real life. That brings me beautifully to my next question, because um, you have written about proactive storytelling as a way to make case studies inevitable. What is proactive storytelling? Tell us about that. How do you use that for customer stories? The way most companies tell stories today or do case studies today or do customer stories today, it's all reactive. So to describe it, they find out there's a win, And now it's a five alarm fire to discover the story in reverse. They go, oh my goodness. Okay, who was the decision maker? What were their goals? Ah, does anybody know their goals? Do we still have the salesperson who was there who sold it to them? And then they they go, okay, uh, and uh, what is the story in the first place? We What are the details? What should we be asking them about on this call? You know, So there's this race to discover everything in reverse, even though that customer may have been with you for years. All of this knowledge lives in pockets and places. Some of it's never documented. Some of it should have been documented. So my goal, what I'm passionate about, what I see an opportunity for the future for is proactive storytelling, which is documenting the story as it's actually happened. Having this be there so that when a customer has a win, it's all there accessible for you to dig into and go, great, our job is not now to figure this all out. It's just to maximize it in a conversation with the customer. So practically, what does that look like? Again, it starts with the thing we've talked about so many times, but it starts with that internal alignment. It starts with defining a shared place for where does this information live and who is responsible for documenting it. And that can be a CRM, that can be a client wiki, that can take a lot of different shapes and forms. But what people need to know is what am I responsible for documenting and how do I get it where it needs to be? Some of that can be automated. So for example, one of my favorite examples of this is FreshBooks, the accounting software. When you sign up for FreshBooks as part of the onboarding process, they get you to tell them what your goals are in using FreshBooks. You can select from different topics and things like that to kind of tell them what what is attracting you to us or what are your goals or what will success look like for you. When you capture that automatically at the beginning, you shouldn't just have that poof into fairy dust or go into voice of customer research or only be used by the product team. That should go somewhere that is tied to that customer's profile, that their story. That is the First kind of brick in in building this house is, well, what brought them in? What objections did they have? So capturing some intelligence at the beginning, having a shared place for it to live. As the relationship grows and matures, getting that information about the account out of the person tied to that account's head and into, again, a place that it's shared, whether that's through internal interviews, whether, again, that's a CRM, but having a place for that to go becomes really valuable because you can start to see in one shared place how this account is evolving. Documenting things like who are the key stakeholders? Who is the decision maker? It's things that already happen to some degree in in most sales organizations or most companies, but they don't always get shared. So 
That's sort of what I mean by proactive storytelling is from the moment someone comes in, you start to document these parts of their story in anticipation of a win. And then that combined with making talking about KPIs normal, understanding whose responsibility it is to make the ask, knowing your coverage gaps, and then taking this approach of escalating commitment rather than swinging in for the case study right away, um, doing things like customer feedback surveys and storing the results of those and not just, again, oh, that lives in type form or survey monkey and maybe once in a blue moon we'll go back there. Um, but having these regular conversations about KPIs and outcomes and what that looks like, um, I believe that in doing so, you can get to a point where when a win happens, the story is there. Is that really, really hard to do? Totally. Is that why like 1% of companies actually do anything resembling that? Totally. Uh, but I think that's the future. And I think there's a lot of forces from automation to this new customer marketing role kind of emerging and growing uh, that, that will make that more possible. And I'm certainly excited to see more companies at least try to get the minimum of that stuff right. Um, what do you think are the best practices to hook the visitor from the get-go? Yeah, I think a lot of just good content principles hold up. I think regardless of the length of your story, you need to be appealing to both scanners and the deep dive listeners. That's why having things like a sidebar, having things like visual callouts, having some large pull quotes that really sell the story. I think when when we approach telling a long form story, for example, we want you to be able to, if you read the full piece, get the full picture, we want that to still be a valuable experience for you. But if all you do is scan the headings and look at the big pull quotes, we want you to leave going, okay, I got the gist of that story. Because quite honestly, that's how a lot of people are going to read those. They're, they're not going to necessarily go into every small detail. So I think, you know, having contrast and having a good hierarchy of information, regardless of the format, is really, really important. I really think we're getting to a place where there is increasingly almost no good excuse for not having mixed media, whether that is combining video and written, whether that's combining audio and written, whether that's just having visuals that help present the outcomes, so things like infographics or things like photos or what have you. It's just purely text-based. We, we have reached a point in content history where there are so many tools available to not just have that, uh, that I, I think you know, we, there's really no excuse. I think keeping the customer at the center of the design or at the center of the presentation is also very valuable. At minimum, have a headshot. Almost everybody's got a headshot that they're confident with, or at least they're, they're happy, happy enough to let you use. Put the customer in the, the center of the story. Make sure people know that there's an actual human behind this thing. And I know anonymized stories and so on and so on. There's a whole other topic we could probably spend an hour on. But I think, you know, do do things to have the customer's logo, have the customer's headshot, have that be part of that presentation so we can see that people and humans are behind this. So I think those are some of the things that I like to see when I'm reading a story that I've been considered as a reader by having that hierarchy, that it's credible by having those different media and those different trust signals and, and things inherent. So you know, I think the worst way to present a story, I'm biased in this, is just like slap it on a blog and call it a day. Like, does it work? Yeah. Is it pretty lazy? For sure. There, there are aspects to a case study like those sidebars, jump links, things like that, that don't always play nice in the average blog format. So I think it does deserve its own kind of love and attention. And I wish more companies would do it. But I also understand it because we ourselves are just now finally getting like a nice looking HTML version <laughs> Uh, rather than like relegating everything to a PDF. 
Um, PDFs are easy to, to put together, but they're also like a terrible experience for consuming, you know, stories if they're the only option. Okay, Gerald, this has been super valuable and super educational for us. And I'm sure everybody who's who's listening and I'm, we have so many questions we would still want to ask you, but we need to wrap this up for now. So we only have our kind of final, final fast five segment, um, rapid fire round questions left. So five very simple questions and five quick, simple answers. Are you ready? You got it. Okay. What book or books are you currently reading? Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke it is fantastic so far. And I'm also reading The Search for God in Guinness, which is about God and beer, which is an interesting <laughs> conversation. <laughs> what sauce company you love and why? Uh, I'm a really big fan of HubSpot for a lot of reasons. I think they care about this customer side. They've proven, uh, they've done some really difficult in, in going from one core product to several, and they've done it successfully. Uh, and then they're also making a real effort towards things like diversity and inclusion and the stories that they feature. And you don't always see that. So I admire them for those and many more reasons. What is your favorite pl place to read about growth? Oh, my favorite place to read about growth. Um, I, it's kind of a couple, but I get a lot out of certain publishers on LinkedIn, just people who are sharing their ideas because they're in the guts of it. I think there are a lot of like news websites and things like that, but I think you can curate your own kind of advisory board to some degree on LinkedIn. So I'm going to, yeah, take a bit of a cop out and say there. <laughs> uh, what is the most important growth metric in your opinion? Customer satisfaction, because if your customers aren't happy, it doesn't matter how much traffic you get. It doesn't matter how many sales you make. It's all going to fall apart at some point. And finally, what is your best piece of advice for fellow marketers? Stay curious. Uh, I think, to get to a point that you think you've figured it all out is dangerous. I mean, we've done thousands of stories and I'm still learning new things about doing customer success stories better and how we can come at it in a, in a smarter way. So, you know, I, for as much as I love to share, I still feel like I have a lot to learn. And so that curiosity piece in work and in life, I think makes everything better and more interesting. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Joel, for coming to the show. It was really a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's it's always fun to chat and always fun to share. And you had really great questions. <laughs> I feel like we got to cover a lot of ground. <laughs> we did cover a lot of ground. Thank you so much. That's it. This concludes part two of episode 99 of the SaaS Growth Hub podcast with Joel Kletke, CEO of Case Study Buddy. Thanks for listening. If you like the SaaS Growth Hub podcast, remember to subscribe. You can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. It would mean the world to us. Cheers. <laughs>